When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. Yes, Robert Gerrish here, founder of Flying Solo, co-author of the bestseller of the same name, and author of The One Minute Commute, my latest book published by Pan Macmillan and available in all good bookshops, online, and as an audiobook courtesy of audible.com. Yikes, six hours of me joining on. Anyway, that's enough about The One Minute Commute. Before I tell you about this show, a quick plug for Flying Solo's premium membership that has a mass of tools and benefits to help your business stand out and to ensure you stay at the top of your game. As part of membership, you get a full page listing in the directory, entry to a private discussion group, access to a library of over 80 how-to videos, a copy of the Flying Solo book, and much more, all for just $99. Head to the join page to find out more. Now, this episode is a recording of a panel discussion from the recent Flying Solo live event in Melbourne. The panel topic was how to attract dream customers, and the members of the panel included Pippa Buxton, Elizabeth Formosa, Brad Krauskoff, and, well, I was kind of adjudicating and chatting. So we start just as the panel have taken their seats on the stage and I introduce them one by one. So starting at the far end, Pippa Buxton, founder and CEO of Little Earth Nest, uh, a business that Pippa founded. It's an eco-store for families. She's a mother and now a non-practicing midwife. Uh, she's passionate about living with an awareness of the environment. Her work assists in supporting families across Australia that connect with a sustainable approach to parenting and life. Pippa has built a huge online presence, as well as a boutique flagship store in East Geelong, and also where it houses their warehouse facility. So, Pippa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, when were you a practicing midwife? Where last? was I a practicing West, midwife? Yes. I studied in Melbourne, so I actually started the business when I had no income when I was 25, and I was studying to be a midwife, so oh, yeah. I've delivered some babies here and some in Geelong oh. and then settled down there and, right. and my own family and the business. So we haven't got any terribly young people in the room, so probably none of your people in the room, but it's nice to know there's people on the earth that you help deliver. It's really exciting yes. and especially now they're coming through my business as customers and, yeah. um, and in that context that's really nice as well. How, how wonderful. Okay, next to uh, Pippa is Elizabeth Formosa, a woman I know pretty well. Uh, Elizabeth has worked with some of Australia's largest retailers and wholesalers in senior roles in retail buying, product development, sourcing, sales, brand building, marketing, strategic planning, and team management. 
Today, her consultancy, Fashion Equipped, helps Australia's next generation of fashion businesses and designers, and she's launched an online program for those planning, launching, and growing a fashion business. Thank you for joining us, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Any fashionistas in the audience? Yes, a few, awesome. all following Elizabeth, no doubt. Very hot topic. So I noticed our forums, Flying Solo Forums, full of people starting fashion businesses. I know. I've been From on your forum spaces. for many years, yes. and um, lots of fashion businesses, you know, right across the board from women's wear to men's wear, kids wear, accessories, lifestyle. So right. I know they're all members of Flying Solo. Yes, so. they're all members. Oh, yes. Yeah. Anyone, anyone doing anything is a member. Definitely. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you so much. And finally, Brad Kauskoff. Now, Brad, I've known for a few years. We're trying to remember how long. Too long. About six or seven. Six I'd or say. seven years ago, I think. Um, Brad is the CEO of Hub Australia, co-working space. Where are you now in Australia? You're We're across uh, Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide, and also opening up in Brisbane in a couple of months. Fantastic. And so, how many sort of how many individuals do you have within the business? There's. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about customers. Yeah, there's yeah. about three thousand wow. um, members from probably around uh, six hundred or seven hundred businesses. Wow. Um, so, you know, co-working's really evolved yeah, um, like, a, a, a lot since we met. Yes, definitely. We'll, we'll get more into that. So, um, as you can probably tell, Brad is passionate about helping businesses grow. He's an Australian entrepreneur and workplace innovator. Uh, he's a national authority on co-working and flexible work. You've very possibly read or heard or seen things. You were, What was the title you got from Cosper a couple of years ago? Uh, small business small, person. Small uh, business. Small, small business person. Of the small year. business person of the year. Yeah. Fantastic. I hope that changed your life. Um, Brad is the... Um, yes, you're quite right. Uh, Brad is the pioneering founder and CEO of Hub Australia, Australia's largest privately held co-working space with locations we've just heard where there are in Brisbane opening very shortly. Okay, so we're talking about dream customers. So I think maybe the place to start, if that's okay, and I'm going to start with you, Pippa, is... Who is your dream customer, and how do you find them? My gut feeling is to say to you that my dream customer is just someone that, that wants to hear what I've got to say. I feel like that's a plain thing that you could apply well, across... a lot every, here, then. You know, for my specific... Um, Nisha, we're talking to people that are either pregnant or have a child aged zero to six, sort of that's um, the family um, segment that um, yeah. we're providing solutions for at Little Earth Nest. But I like to think that there's been an evolution in who my customer is, and mm. I think that goes along with what we've said about um, being agile in your business. And I definitely think that um, as the sustainability movement has been more broadly accepted, my customer is becoming every person. So I would, say, I would have said I started off within a niche of a customer that um, had a respect for sustainable products, environmentally friendly products, uh, what Catherine was talking about, about low-tox um, in personal care products and yep. that type of thing. But I actually feel like that message is being far more broadly um, accepted now, um, which speaks to the growth of my business too, but certainly... Any, any person Evolution with a family of, yes. now um, okay. could be my customer. How interesting. So you started with a very clear niche. It sounds like now the world is kind of caught up and now it's broadened a great deal. So we'll, we might come back to niches a bit later, but basically anybody that has concern about the environment, about sustainability, they're the kind of people you want to be talking to. That I to. want to help, exactly. Yes. Okay. That's right. Excellent. All right. Elizabeth, what about you? Who's, the, uh, who's your dream customer? Oh, I think our client base is really broad, but if I had to choose, I'd say that they'd be entrepreneurial, 
Um, they'd have you know, some clarity about their business vision, but they just need that help uh, yeah. to navigate the road ahead. You know, they'd be eager to learn because we're in the consultancy business and now the online learning business, so they've got to be eager to learn. And I think willing to invest in their own development. I think mm. that that's really important. Um, but essentially, you know, our client base, we're helping anybody who's looking to plan, launch and grow a fashion business. And, yep. um, but essentially, you know, we are niche. We are specialising in fashion, yes. not broad-based business consultancy. So that yeah, really... Okay. As much as it narrows it down, fashion is a huge market. Sure. So, so is uh, I'm going to get you in a second, but so is uh, is by definition then uh, some of the people who are not so ideal because I guess when you look at fashion and I've seen a lot of the conversations in the forum, it looks like you know I can see people going through a thought process. Well, how hard can that be? I'll buy yeah. 200 of them and I'll stick them on here and, and I've got a business. Yeah. It's not that easy, is it? So. No. Is that, but do you find, is that, does that still sort of trip you up, that there are people coming in that have said, hey, I've got two garages full of clothes, help? Is that a... It does. Okay. It um, used to surprise me. It doesn't surprise me anymore because right. we're six years into consultancy and 20-odd years in the industry. But, um, you know, I have conversations every day just that exactly that, you know, I've bought this inventory, I actually don't know how to sell it, can you help me sell it? And, you know, mm. we want to be reaching those people way before oh, yeah. that stage, yes. right at the beginning of the journey, so that we can help them to gain some clarity about the road ahead, because it's not for everybody. Starting a fashion business is not for everybody. No. You know, it may look great from the outside looking in, you know, champagne and fashion shows and all of these things, there's that perception. But the reality is, you know, we're working with a lot of home-based businesses. A lot of our clients don't have fashion industry experience. Yep. Again, they're entrepreneurial. They might be great at marketing or finance, but they don't have that industry knowledge. So that's where we come in. Sure. It's like we're pulling that curtain back and saying, okay, this is what it's all about. This is what it takes to succeed because yep. it's a highly competitive industry. You've got to play, you know, a really big game to make it in fashion. Um, so the best thing we can do is to share our knowledge, educate that client, yeah. and they may decide it's not for them, that they're actually not going to move forward, mm. and that's okay, yes. because we would rather have had those conversations before they put their yes. hard-earned money into something that is actually not going to be right arrived. for them. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, Brad, so if you remember, the question was, yeah. your okay. dream customer, so who is it for you? So our, our dream customer is a, a small business with a, you know, with a dream to make a difference. Like They want to come and join the hub, they'll probably have two, three staff, but they're there to grow that business. Um, the, the best way for us to grow our business is by our customers growing their business. Mm -hmm. So if someone enters uh, the hub with two or three people, we celebrate it when they, when they leave us a couple of years later with 10 people, with 20 people. That's the, when they're trying to create an amazing place for, for, for their staff to work at. That aligns exactly with what we're trying to create. Mm, okay. It's interesting how the, um, my observation anyway, the whole co-working space has changed. You know, for a period there, it seemed like it was anybody who had a few thousand square metres of retail space would go, bosh, I'm a co-working space, and they get a lot of nasty desks and people would move in. You've never been that, and you've always had at the core of your business, I know, education, community, how, how do you observe the industry is, is changing uh, over the period that you've been in it? Uh, certainly it moved from being um, about uh, just for freelancers and startups. Yeah. It's now really, uh, it's part of every business's portfolio of how 
Um, they, they, they house their staff, how they house their business. And importantly, like everybody needs to get ahead these days. Like you need much more than a great workspace. You need a community of, of people to be in business with. So about 50% of our members do business with other members, yep. um, which, is, which is absolutely key. Mm. Um, everybody contributes learning opportunities and networking opportunities to, to the broader community. I guess we've seen that um, you know co-working's gone way beyond a desk. Yes, you know right. it's actually like part of the toolkit for a business to get ahead. Yep, and a great way I think for you know our audience, our heartland people like me who work by ourselves to have that balance. You know, a little bit of time at home. Then when the family drive you nuts, or the you know you're not getting the answers you want from your cat, you can go to um, you know a co-working space and, and rub shoulders. Is that how a lot of people are using it? It, 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 yeah. it is. Um, I guess the, the single biggest reason that somebody joins the hub and stays at the hub is their ability to attract and retain staff. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that and that's a very big uh, shift from I, I think I put it about twenty six. 2016, more of our uh, more of our members were staff wor working for customers, working for companies, yep. than uh, founders and freelancers. Oh, right. So as soon as that flipped, I, I, I don't know about you, but um, most um, I've always found most small business people they'll want to be better to their staff than they would be to themselves in their business, like when they're yes. going about it. Yep. And so as soon as that happened, people were joining the hub and they valued it. Uh, way beyond that flexible yeah, okay. desk. And as soon as it became about the staff and creating an amazing place for people to work, that's when the whole model really took off. Yeah, okay, interesting. Okay, so now, if you recall, thank you, from our earlier um, panel discussion, we have, this is a point where you ask questions. Well, one hopes you does, you do. So we had a show of hands for who would like more dream customers, and pretty well all of you put your hands up. So that suggests to me there's a lot of questions. Uh, we have some microphoning people. Uh, where's Casey? So if you have some questions for this panel about dream customers, how do you track them? How do you find them? How do you get more of them? How do you keep them? Please, please, please pop your hand up. You've had caffeine now, so you should be absolutely... Oh, the lights have gone up. There you go. No hiding now. So any questions, please let me have them. Whilst I'm doing that, I'm going to fly right over to Pippa again. Now, I thought what you said was interesting, where you started, you say, with a niche, then it kind of grew. Does it uh, in any way, you know, I, I, when I talk to businesses and they say, um, as they sometimes do, and I say, who's your ideal client? And they might say, anybody with a credit card and a heartbeat is, you know, <laughs> is my ideal client. And that's often what it feels like at startup. You know, it's like, if you'll just stand still and listen to me for a minute, you're ideal. But you're now <laughs> at the point where you're saying um, your audience is now quite broad. Does that in any way, does that concern you? Are you worried that with a broader base that um, whether you're going to resonate and get your message firmly to them? Oh, I feel like absolutely the opposite, really. Okay. But it's 13 years that I've been trying to sort of um, take people on that same journey that I'm on or to, to see things from the same perspective that I have. So I feel like really having this broad market to speak to is success. You know, that's um, mm. that we've succeeded. It doesn't concern me whatsoever. I feel like at the end of the day, my focus in finding my dream customer is all about being my authentic self um, yeah. and making sure that what I display through my content, we talked a little bit about content earlier, through the content on the website and who I am as a person, the way that I interact with customers is all authentic to the vision that I had 
at the very beginning of the business and to the one customer I spoke to then, to the millions of customers that I speak to now, I feel like really it's just the same thing whether you're starting off small or getting to the level that I'm at. As long as you have that authenticity about what it is that you have to say um, and for me sort of meaning behind why I'm doing it, it doesn't matter to me whether the okay. what the size but of so the as your is. reach has grown and your appeal has grown has that put pressures on your business in particular ways for sure i mean we talk a little bit about scaling and things yeah. that that's been something for me also just because we're independently owned um getting that right you know you don't want to grow too quickly um and then not be able to deliver what it is that you're selling or in the way that I want to be selling it. So that's been something, you know, we have our warehouse now and every order gets a handwritten letter addressed to the to the person that um, that's placed the order, that sort of right. thing. I don't want to lose those personal touches because no. that is what we're about. So, um, you know, that's been a, a challenge, just the, the growth and sometimes mm. the speed of the growth. Um, that's been something... Because that often can put pressure on a business, can't it? And suddenly those little things that they did when they were small and bespoke start kind of going out the window and they get busy, which can be a... You know, not a good move. What about with you, Elizabeth? Your, your business, you know, your appeal has grown. Mm-hmm. How, have, how, listening to what Pippa says, would you agree with a whole lot of that? Are there any unique things that have happened with you as your message has got sort of broader? I think I definitely agree with maintaining your, you know, your authentic position and yep. try not to, you know, change that too much as you do grow. Um, I think I totally agree that as you get bigger, maintaining the close relationship you had mm. with your clients or your customers does get more difficult. Like we're seeing that now with our online community. So yep. for five years, we were working one-on-one with our clients. So, you know, it's a really close relationship. You're in a room with them, you're face-to-face, you're liaising on the phone and email constantly. It's that one-on-one interaction. Mm. And then transitioning to an online platform. And the reason that we've done that is to reach... Um, more people and provide our services and our support to more people. But as we grow, you know, it will be impossible for me to give the same, you know, one-on-one yes. attention to, you know, hundreds of people. So you're designing your business to allow for that? Yes. So, so putting, I think, measures in place to ensure that, you know, there's still a part of you that is very accessible. So for us, we do regular coaching calls with our yep. online clients. So they're still getting contact hours with us. Yep. So myself and my team, it's okay. not just me. So yep. my team's involved as well. So I think finding, you know, clever and innovative ways to, whether a merchandise business or a, you know, a service-based business, mm. um, to not lose that authenticity, that essence, that brand yep. DNA that has been, has really attributed to your mm. success. And I think, you know, for me, you know, my, I'm very involved. Like, my face is all over our marketing. Yes. It's me on the 50-odd video tutorials in our business. It's me who's the first point of contact for our clients. So I can't all of a sudden disappear. No. I can't be the one, you know. Unless um, you've got somebody who looks a lot like you. Well, yeah. can, yes, yeah. well, that's an option too. All right, let me just take a pause there. <laughs> Do we have some questions in the audience, please? Two, good. Yes, please. Where is someone with the microphone? Yes. Uh, potentially aimed more at Brad. It was in response to you talking about celebrating clients who've grown bigger and then moved on. I thought that was a cool concept and wondering to hear how you leverage that success into a future business. Uh, certainly telling the story of um, telling their story. Uh, like, uh, 
for me, the single best way that you can attract a customer is provide a really great customer service that is so damn good, they just want to talk about it. So through doing that, we can work on those, on those businesses, we can talk about their growth, and I think if you've got the channels right and you've got the networks right, you know, people love a good story. Um, so, so when that person leaves us at 20 people, that's where I say we celebrate it because we can tell their story of their success and that attracts more people to, to, to the hub. Okay, but you don't then necessarily, um, as that person leaves, you don't, when you see a number of people leaving, that doesn't suggest to you, oh, there's another business opportunity here, I need to go to, you, you're happy to stay at your core. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Does that answer your question, sir? Uh, yeah, it was, I guess also asking if, uh, do you have a strategy in place to fill that, that spot then? Is that creating a gap or is it more just, um, you know, trying to use that as a referral almost? Yeah, I guess that we always know when someone's going to leave us and, you know, we should know that 30 days or 90 days ahead. Um, so then the marketing team kicks into gear and they work on the funnel and then we bring tours through and generally speaking, by the time someone moves out, we've got someone to, to, to take their spot. Yeah, okay, great. Thank you. Uh, yes, madam. Hello, Hello, my name's Kate. Um, my question's um, for Elizabeth um, and fashion. Um, I'm just wondering, I hope I'm not too off topic, but um, with your experience within the fashion industry, I'm just wondering if what you've seen change, um, particularly with, I guess, like um, your social conscience and ethically made clothes and, you know, who, hashtag who made your clothes and um, people being more aware of brands and, um, you know, their ethics and how, they, how they're producing their clothes, watch factories and things. Have you seen a positive change with that and do you think that it's important that that is thought about when um, starting up a clothing label? Yeah. Okay, so can I just ask you before you answer, just we'll keep it that fairly brief, we're going to try and stay on dream clients. But, I'll keep um, it brief. I'll great. keep it brief. Sorry, and if you have other questions, please, can you raise your hand so we'll get round to you? Sorry, yeah. Karen. It's, it's a great question and um, it's a totally relevant question. I think consumer sentiment has definitely changed. I think the most positive thing is awareness. So people are aware, you know, we all want a better world. Um, we all want a better environment. We all want people to be treated better. And fashion is traditionally an industry that has overlooked that from, you know, certainly mass scale manufacture. Um, it's a big topic to tackle and I think for small business, but we always say to our clients, you know, what does ethical sourcing and sustainability mean to you and what does it mean to your ideal consumers? Um, so as a small business, what can you do today as a startup? that is going to help support that message? You know, is it going to be using recycled fabrics? Is it going to be um, asking for certain accreditation from your manufacturer? Is it going to be, you know, you're not going to partake in fast fashion? It's going to be slow fashion. It's going to be custom. So I think as a small business, we should all be thinking about what we can do in our business to be more ethical, more sustainable. Um, but it is often very difficult to do it all overnight. So we say be totally transparent as a brand, um, really decide what you stand for early on and, you know, work towards the big goal. You know, do small things in phases 
Um, you know, we have to be realistic about it, but it's absolutely something that should be okay. taken into Thank consideration. Thank you. And I, I like the point in there that you're saying that you work with your clients to ensure that in their proposition to their ideal clients that they bring that to the fore yeah. very strongly as well. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Gentlemen, I can just see you about the monitor. Um, Matthew here. Um, you, you've spoken twice, a couple of times about authenticity um, with regards to small business in particular. Is that the allurement of um, small business that we are transparent and that we can take our clients on that journey um, for, for, for their... Um, for their journey with regards to the one-on-one -on -one type of situation. Um, so is your I, question, to what extent is authenticity Yeah, that's, that's basically the transparency side of things with regards to cutting through the BS of puffery and all that sort of stuff of yep. commercial business. Okay, all right, how important is it, Pippa? Well, I just feel that for me it's been really important. I, I feel like that it is essential. I, I kind of think of it like Forgive me if this is not a good analogy, but I Run with it. it's like birds, you know, when birds are mating and the boy's getting his colourful feathers out and he's saying, here I am, this is who I am, am I a good match for you? And I feel like that's the same, I know Matthew's in, in design, I feel like that's essential in design to be able to say, here I am, I'm a small business, but my heart's in it, excuse me, my heart's in it, you know, I'm, in, I'm invested in getting a great outcome for you, here's some of my work, I do work from home and, or, or you know, I'm working in a co-working space or this is who I am, am I a good match for you? Like, like a lot of people have talked about, there's no point um, putting puffery, is that, the, is that the word, having a facade on about who you are and what it is that you're able to deliver because you're going to attract the wrong customer, yeah. not your dream customer. Sure. Okay, so Brad, I, yeah. thank you. Brad, with you, with not just with your business, but with businesses that you observe within your business, what's your take on that? Uh, I guess small businesses, um, like you don't have a lot in, in terms of how you differentiate and how you compete with the big guys. So authenticity is one of the things that you have. I think one of the really interesting things that I've seen though in the hub, we're up to 50 staff now. And I actually find that because we've, um, we've got the right people on the team and because we look for a certain culture within yep. the team, I've found that we've been able to scale that authenticity because it's not just about me, it's mm. about the team who's providing that front line. Sure. And certainly if you do it properly, um, I feel like we can spend more time with our customers now, not less, mm. because we've actually got more people on the team to be able to focus on different, on, on different areas and specialise in different areas. Yep. Great. And I guess the thing is so essential in your business is when I walk into a hub in Melbourne or I walk into a new one in Brisbane, I'm going to want to kind of feel I'm in the same place. Yeah, it should feel... It's, feel it's, it's like, you're, like you're walking <clears throat> home. Um, it yeah. feels a certain okay. way. We'll let you know when Brisbane opens. I'm sure you'll do fine. <laughs> Peter, you've got someone up here with a question. Yes. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, my question is for Elizabeth. Um, you said that you wanted to reach people before they had the uh, garage for the clothing. So I guess my question is around how do you actively intervene before that stage? Is it about kind of building a platform, hoping they will come? Is it about targeted advertising? I'm just kind of wondering if you talked through what you found effective for you. Okay, so how do we reach those customers before they've got the garage full stop? That's right, yeah. Okay, so um, it, ha it has been challenging because of our client base. So, so firstly, we've got to be visible in the market. So, you know, social media, obviously website, we've spoken about digital strategies, website, social media, um, blogging. So as a business, we put as much content out to the market as we can, targeted content, to attract our dream client so that they can find us. 
So it's really difficult for us to find our clients because they're everywhere. They might be, you know, um, someone who's working at home. They might be someone working in the fashion industry that wants to go out on their own. They may, may be a fashion graduate. So the best thing that we can do is be very active in the industry. So that means, you know, events like this where we can share our story. Um, it means being at trade shows. It means, you know, being on all of the social media platforms. It means Facebook advertising. It means consistent blogging. It means, you know, offering value at all touch points um, wherever we are so that we are, you know, growing our list, our database, so to speak, and then we're nurturing them so that, you know, if someone needs help, they know they can reach out to us. It's hard for us to say, oh, we want to intervene before you, you know, you, before you purchase that inventory. We don't know where they're at, you know, in the startup stages. Um, but what we're doing is encouraging people to reach out to us, you know, if they're not sure, if they're not experienced. And often when someone ends up with a garage or a spare room full of stock, it's because they lack that experience. Mm. So I guess being visible for anybody, for any business, is super important, which means you need to be active on lots of different channels. Okay, um, thank you. We've got one final question coming in just a second. Um, and it's interesting what you're saying there, because I observe you know, when, in the forums when there's been discussions about fashion, people, members of the community are now jumping in saying, you need to talk to Elizabeth, you know, to your business. So it, it, clearly it, it works, and you've got to be across all of that, haven't you, yeah. and be the person that that others kind of refer. So our final question, yes, please. Hello, my name is Stephanie. Um, I really love what Brad said about providing a great customer service and experience, and that's how you um, uh, get further customers or better referrals. How do we do that when you're starting out at the very beginning? So I might have a handful of customers, but I guess my service is delivered over a period of time, like a period of months. So getting people to commit to those kinds of testimonials or whatever other fashion. Could you like, give us an insight into the nature of your business? I teach mindfulness meditation. Okay, got you. Okay. Brad, would you like yeah, to take sure. that? Sure. Look, um, ask a friend. As if like when you're starting out, you've got to, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do to get ahead. Um, so I'm not saying, I'm not saying fake it, but find someone who you have provided a great, um, a great service to, someone where you've seen that you've made an impact, and, and ask them. You'd be amazed when you ask. Um, like it, it never ceases to amaze mm. me. You pick up the phone, people are actually willing to give up their time. And if you make the story about, about them and then get their story out, that you may be able to find a way that it benefits them as well. So if you, if, if, you, if you look always, how can I make this worth their while, you, you, I think you'll find that they'll be up for it. Yep, great. So it's adding value in a, in a different way. Yep, thank you. And I, I remember seeing ask. something recently at a, uh, a networking event where at the end of it, uh, there was somebody standing by the sort of the top of the staircase and just stood there with a, with a phone, literally just saying, what did you get from today? And as we were going down, we go, oh, the speaker was great, or the coffee was great. Just little snippets, you know, wonderful little bits of feedback that were then on Facebook, you know, within an hour. And similarly with your kind of work, which is, you know, anybody who's been through mindful, mindfulness meditation will, usually will come out of it thinking, whoa, that was fantastic. You know, capture that and use it, it seems to me. So look, thank you, panel, so much. It's gone fast, hasn't it? We're at the end of our time already. So please uh, join me in thanking our panel. 
And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au.